Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, everyone. Let me do that again. We we had a problem here. Let me do that again. All right, let's let's uh we went live, but we had some we're still learning all the new software for the MacBook Pro. So I think that that audio for the our intro doesn't didn't really go really well. So I'm going to mute the mic. And then we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pretend that that didn't happen. All right. We're going to pretend. Don't you wish life was like that? You could just make some horrible mistake and just pretend like it never happened. It was just, it's just gone. Well, obviously, no matter how much I pretend, it's not going to go away because now it's forever on the internet, but we're going to pretend that it never happened. So here we go. We're going to go live for real in five, four, three, two, one. Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, April the 8th, 2023. It is currently 1238 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, this is part two of an attempt to try to figure out why are there so many denominations if scripture is supposedly so clear? If the scriptures can be understood by anyone, the learned, the unlearned, the sophisticated, the unsophisticated, those with a seminary education and those who never even finished high school, if the scriptures are supposedly clear that anyone can understand it. Now, Christians also, not only do Christians claim the scriptures are clear, Christians love to claim the Holy Spirit is leading us into all truth and giving us information and helping us understand. Christians always claim that. If all of that is true, right? If all of that is true, why are there thousands of different groups and churches and denominations all claiming absolutely different doctrine and interpretation of scripture? I mean, think about it. Christians do not agree even on the meaning of the word baptism. Christians don't agree even on the word repentance. We Not only do we not agree on words, we don't agree on doctrines. We don't agree on the Lord's Supper, on baptism, on how the church should be structured. I mean, we, we don't agree divorce, remarriage. We, I mean, you just name it. We don't agree on anything. There's just massive disagreement within the body of Christ. And it's been that way for 2000 years, arguing, fighting and dividing. Yet we maintain, especially in the evangelical Protestant world, that scriptures are clear and that anyone can understand them and that anyone can interpret them. Yet, we can't agree on which interpretation is right. So we have been listening to an audio, reviewing audio, from the Gospel Coalition, their website, at one of their conferences. We think the conferences occur, uh, happened in 2017. We think it happened in 2017. At least that's our theory, that it happened in 2017. Um, and we've been reviewing that audio, listening to it, and so far... What he's trying to do is like, well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, if scripture is so clear, why are there so many denominations? 
And the approach the speaker is taking is this. The reason there are so many denominations is not because scripture isn't clear. Like he's not even offering that as a possibility. I believe scripture is not near as clear as everyone wants to pretend. We want to pretend that it's clear, but it's clearly not, okay? Because if it was clear, there wouldn't be all of this disagreement. But their argument is, no, 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 no. The scriptures are clear. The problem is, number one, people don't understand the sufficiency of scripture. And number two, people don't understand the clarity of scripture. However, when you listen to everything they said in the audio we reviewed in part one, Basically, even though they may not have tried to explicitly state state this, they basically said, well, only only the people who have the right knowledge, the right meet the right qualification, only they can understand it. Now, of course, how it works is you get because you interpret scripture one way, you get to believe that you meet the qualifications, that you do understand sufficiency and clarity enough so that you can interpret the Bible. And anyone you disagree with, well, clearly they're not as qualified because it just, I mean, who gets to make the determination? Well, the determination is made on, well, by you. You interpret scripture and anyone who disagrees with you, clearly they're wrong. <laughs> clearly they don't have the ability. Well, wait a minute. What? Maybe you're the one who's wrong. So it's really a very subjective and they really haven't answered the question, but we made it to the 38, 27 minute mark, 38, 27 minute mark, 38, 27. We're going to go back to about 38, 44, about 38, 44. Um, I remember whenever we Whenever we do these sermon reviews and they get broken up into multiple parts, I always hate when we come back and we have to hit play because there's really never an easy way to jump in. We just kind of have to walk to the edge of the pool and just dive in. I know I use that illustration all the time, but it really is the only way uh, that works. So um, I had I had the audio perfectly set on a place that I thought was a good, smooth transition, but... Uh, we're still learning all the software in the MacBook Pro, and for some weird reason, it decided to just start completely over. So um, I'm going to up the audio, uh, probably because we were messing with all of those other things. But uh, now we have this set. I think we're ready to go. So here's what we're trying to figure out. If scripture, If Scripture is clear, then why are there so many denominations? If scripture is clear, why are there so many denominations? Why? Why do we have like a, a never-ending plura, uh, a pluralism almost of biblical interpretation that there's just everyone has their own thoughts and their own interpretations? And it's it's almost kind of a free-for-all. It's almost, I mean, if we're honest, it's almost biblical interpretive anarchy. It's almost hermeneutical anarchy. Just every individual and, and, and no, and no matter how, what we want to do in the, in, in the evangelical Protestant world, clearly the church has lost all authority because now it's the individual in the pew who takes their Bible. However, whatever method they're using, they're going to be like, that's the right interpretation. I'm not going to go to that church, that church, that church, that church. And if my church starts teaching that, I'm going to go to another church. So really the individual becomes, how do I say this? Within the evangelical Protestant world, no matter how much we, how much this is going to bother everyone, we rejected one pope so that every individual could become their own pope. 
We rejected the magisterial, magisterial authority of the Roman Catholic Church so that we could become our own magisterial authority. And our interpretation is our interpretation. And some individual Christians will go so far to say that their interpretation was given to them by God. The Holy Spirit led them to that interpretation, which would make their interpretation infallible. And for some weird reason, Christians don't see the problem here. But everyone thinks their interpretation is right. We always think that we have the ability and that we can figure it out and anyone else's interpretation is wrong. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, so you're saying we shouldn't try to interpret? I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have to realize the difficulty we have put placed ourselves in and we could go back. These are the unintended consequences of the Protestant Reformation. As much as I agree with the Reformation, obviously I even hold to Reformed theology, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there isn't a problem. Every individual cr- runs around with a Bible saying, this is what it says. This is what it means. And if you disagree with them, you're wrong and you're a heretic and they're right. And then they will run around criticizing every pastor that disagrees with them. That church is wrong. That pastor is wrong. That pa- that seminary professor is wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. And of course, you are always right. So, if scripture is clear, why are there so many denominations? So far, the answer is, he's trying to give us 10 reasons to understand this. It's simply because people don't understand the sufficiency of scripture. And because they don't really understand the clarity of scripture. All right. And basically the way he approached it was, well, scripture isn't sufficient to answer this or this or this. In other words, we can only rely on scripture to be sufficient and for it answering or giving us information for what it was designed to do. But who gets to determine, well, the Bible is not sufficient to give us an answer about baptism. Who gets to determine what it's sufficient for or not for? And well, the scripture is clear on what it's meant to be clear on, but it's not equally clear in all parts. Well, then, if, and so basically he made an argument that, well, if the Bible is not clear in this area, then we can't be certain. Well, then who gets to determine which area the Bible is clear in or not clear in? Once again, it becomes subjective. So here we go. Let's jump back in. This is going to be kind of abrupt, but it will, it will, it will smooth itself out. Because I backed it up a little further than I needed to, but I wanted to get you a little context because he's he will at least give us the two points, and then he's going to come into point number three. Here we go. Without leading you to a place where you say, we can't really know anything about what we know. It demonstrates that Peter knew there was a right and wrong interpretation of Paul, even when it was difficult to understand. So we need a proper understanding of the sufficiency, of the clarity. Here's the third point. We need a proper understanding of sola scriptura. We do not interpret scripture apart from creeds, confessions, and the traditions of the church. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. We do not interpret scripture apart from the creeds, the confessions, and the traditions of the church. (laughs) Now, immediately, okay, I do believe in the value 
and the need to understand the confessions, the creeds, and the traditions of the church. We should know them because they give us insight into the history of this thing we call Christianity. We should want to know that history. But if you listen to our series on baptism in the early church, you'll realize how utterly crazy some of what the early church said, uh, some of the, what the, some of the things the early church was doing, right? So we're going to interpret baptism based on an early church who said things like, I don't know. Oh yeah. You have to take off all of your clothes and be baptized in the nude. Oh wait, you have to be instructed three years before you even hear the gospel. And you have to demonstrate if you're worthy even to hear the gospel. Oh yeah. You have to fast for a number of days before you even get baptized. Oh yeah. Basically any verse that mentions water. Okay. Somehow means baptism. Like even their hermeneutical method was crazy. Oh, I, oh yeah. You have to have a demon exercised out of you before you can. I mean, we, we read from Tertullian. We read from Hippolytus. We read from the Didache. We, we read from all of these historical sources. They, not only did they not agree with each other, how they handled scripture at times was baffling and confounding and confusing. So when you say we only interpret scripture, we don't interpret scripture apart from the confessions, the creeds, and the traditions. Whose traditions? Whose confessions? Now, there's only so many major creeds. Obviously, you've got the Apostles, the Nicene, and the Athanasian Creed. So you've got basically three major creeds. But even that, if you get into the Nicene Creed and you get to the end of that creed, Look at the end of the Nicene Creed and look what it has to say in regards to baptism. A lot of people are going to interpret that many different ways. If if he's going to interpret Bible in light of the Westminster Confession, does that make his interpretation better than me interpreting the Bible in light of the London Baptist Confession? We're not going to come to the same conclusions about the uh, baptism, are we? But what if someone wants to use a different confession? So how is, how exactly do you interpret the Bible in light of all the traditions, confessions, and creed? Because basically what you're telling someone is, oh, you're a Christian and you, and you've got your Bible and you've got your journal and you've got your notebook and you've got your pencils and you're ready to go. All right. Oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't interpret the Bible. Why? Because you don't know the Westminster Confession. You don't know the London Baptist Confession. You don't know the Heidelberg Catechism. You don't know the Puritan Catechism. Now I can go through all the other confessions and, and you don't know this. You don't know this. You don't, you don't know Luther's Catechism. You don't know, you don't, you got to know all, you got to know the traditions of the church. Or you can't interpret that. When you get ready to read that passage, you're going to go, okay, wait a minute. Before I, I run a Bible study method, I need to stop and go, okay, what did the early church say about this passage of scripture? Now you got to go find out what all the church fathers said. You got to now figure out, did the confessions, did the creeds, did they address this? Now, I do understand by saying that you're like, we're, we're trying to protect people from, from not going crazy, but I, but I, you, once again, you're limiting people who can interpret the Bible. And when it comes to that practically, no church really follows that. Hey, hey, no, 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 no. You can't be interpreting the Bible in Sunday school. Not, you got to have someone make sure that you're interpreting it in light of 
all the confessions and all the creeds and all the church traditions. You Do you understand how much uh, information that is, especially when you just throw in the random vague term, the traditions of the church right here next to me? I have a book. This is the Apostolic Fathers. This is the Apostolic Fathers. This is almost 300 pages of just the Apostolic Fathers. Well, if you go a little bit further into church history, you get into the later church fathers. What about all of them? I guarantee you, you'll, you'll, you'll become so confused. You'll be like, well, wait a minute. This church father, well, wait a minute. This, uh, well, wait a minute. They interpret scripture almost in an allegorical way. Like, wait, wait, what do I do? And I'll say, well, no, no, you don't have to go. You don't have to get that far into the weeds. A lot of times when I hear people say this, what they're saying is you just need to go with our confession. You just need to go with the Westminster or you just need to go with the London Baptist. That, that is a big statement to say that we cannot, that, that the sufficiency of Scripture means that we do not interpret the Bible apart from all of these other sources. Now, I'm all for using those sources. I'm all for seeking them out. But then that would limit people's ability to interpret the Bible. You can't interpret the Bible until you know these other sources and these other documents. Now I like that that raises some that raises some serious questions. All right, let's let's continue. It is not so low scriptura, meaning scripture and we never open another book. Some of you maybe come from churches or perhaps you even think this yourself and you might say there is no creed but the Bible. Sounds nice, sounds spiritual, and it actually sounds like a creed. We believe in the Bible and our creed, no creed but the Bible. No, we are willing humbly to climb on the shoulders of giants and to learn from what those who have gone before have taught. Now, I I, I do love this. I do agree that that kind of low scripture alone perspective, right? Where it's just me and my Bible. It sounds spiritual and it really becomes a creed in and of itself. Oh, I completely agree with that. I am not in disagreement, but I also find it absolutely hilarious when people are like, we, we will humbly stand on the shoulders of giants and we will listen to what they have to say. No, you won't. As soon as you pick up any book by their church father, like he's wrong. Calvin was wrong here. Augustine was wrong there. Clement was wrong there. You just go through all the church. Zwingli was wrong. Luther was wrong here. Boom. But you'll just throw throw, the Anabaptists. You'll just start throwing out anyone you disagree with. You're not humbly standing on the shoulders of giants. You arrogantly grab the people that agree with you and say they were right and everyone else was wrong. Because we all do that. It's what it, it drives me crazy when, like, for example, one of the reasons we did the entire study on baptism in the early church is because I told you that someone contacted me and said, hey, I would like to talk to you a little bit about baptism. And I'm like, oh, okay. So they wanted to contact for me to t- contact them online, right? Like in a, like an audio chat online. And I'm like, okay, I got no problem. You want to talk about baptism? I thought someone was humbly had some questions and wanted to discuss it. So I'm like, sure. So I try to contact them and it, it, they won't answer. So then they're like, no, 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 you need to follow this link. I click on the link. Boom. I come into this audio chat 
There's like eight people, right? And immediately, boom, they attack. And they're like, you know, basically, you're a Baptist. You're in sin because you don't baptize babies. And boom, you guys don't know church history. You, and it's like almost I was immediately felt like I was being set. I had been set up. And and the arrogance was, you, you don't know church history or, or how arrogant of you to ignore church history. I'm like, no, no. How arrogant of you to only pick the church history you want. So then what did I do? I demonstrated it. I went from the Didache to Tertullian to Hippolytus. Well, which one are you going to go with? You're going to strip off all your clothes and get baptized in the nude? You're going to have people have to spend three years learning before they can even hear the gospel? You're going to anoint people with oil after the baptism? Are you going to make them fast for so long before? Are you going to exercise a demon out of them before? Like, no, no, no. See, you only pick what you want. You only go back to church history and go, I want a little, it's almost like it's, you know, the golden corral. It's, it's almost like it's a, it's, it's a, it's a buffet and you walk in, oh, we're going to take a little bit of this. Okay. Or, oh, oh, we got babies being baptized or we want a little bit of this. Oh, wait, 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 wait. They're using sprinkling. We want a little bit. Okay. Well, wait a minute. I don't know what all this other stuff is. We're going to throw that out. Well, then. Like, what's the value? I I love knowing what the early church did. I do. I love church history. And it's just bizarre to be attacked for not caring about church history since my church studies church history constantly. But it's just bizarre that we can't realize, no, we're not standing on the shoulders of giants. We, We look through church history to find what seems to agree with us. And then we're like, oh, 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 wait, 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 wait. Someone in 322 BC or 322 AD said this. See, ding, 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 ding. We're right. We're right. We're right. Uh, our, our views go back to the early church. And, and it's like, well, so is the early church the authority or scripture the authority? Is the confession the authority or is scripture the authority? Now, I got no problem. I'm constant. Look, we have studied everything from the Didache. We've studied parts of the Heidelberg Catechism. We've studied Augustine on hermeneutics. I mean, we're constantly pulling out ancient documents uh, from early church to get my people to to read them and to work on them. So by no means am I denouncing the, 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 the study of church history. What I'm saying is we have to be a little bit more honest with how we use it. Any church history that disagrees with your interpretation of Scripture, you ignore. Any church history that agrees with your interpretation of Scripture becomes supportive, authoritative, and proves your point. Well, then guess what? You're not standing on the shoulders of giants. Those giants, as you refer to them, are simply tools to prop up your own interpretation. Oh, I know that sounds cynical, but I've just watched it happen too many times. Well, hey, you're a Baptist. Don't you know the early church baptized babies? Oh, wow. You're right. And don't you know the early church basically taught this and clearly seemed to be teaching over and over and over on more works-based salvation and clearly at times seemed to be teaching you can lose your salvation and seemed to be, oh, well, well, no, 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 no. We don't agree with all of that. Oh, so and 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 then and then Christians will say this arrogant thing: we only agree with church history as they agree with scripture. Oh no, what you mean is you only agree with church history when they agree with your interpretation of scripture. 
<laughs> what is so then the church history is simply a tool to prop up your own understanding or your own interpretation and that's such a that drive that drives me crazy i'm sorry i keep picking up my notes here i don't really have anything on my notes other than 3827 and the the two points he's already given but this third point i do i look i understand i don't believe i don't like when christians ignore church history so on one hand, I would argue with people, you need to know church history, right? You need to know it. But I know practically you can say that you can't interpret the Bible apart from these documents, but that would limit who could and couldn't interpret the Bible. So then how do you make that work practically? But not only that, I do know this, no matter how humble you think you are, your interpretation becomes the authority by which you judge every other authority or every other source of information. So then ultimately, you're the authority. Scripture is not even the authority. Your own interpretation becomes the authority. Now, I don't think this fixes, this doesn't, I mean, churches have been relying on church history for, I've had, I've, look, just Just to show you, Catholics refer to church history to prove Catholicism is right. Protestants refer to church history to prove that Protestantism is right. Uh, Calvinists refer to church history to prove that Calvinism is right. Pelagian, semi-Pelagian, Arminians will reference church history to prove that they are right. Those who baptize babies will refer to church history to prove they are right. Those who don't baptize babies will still try to refer to church history to prove they're right. Everyone refers to church history to prove they're right. That yet does not limit the number of denominations. It only increases the number of denominations. And that does in no way, shape, or form prove that scripture is clear. It, In fact, what it would seem to me If you're telling me, if he's trying to answer the question, why are there so many denominations if scripture is clear? To me, if I have to go to church history, to tradition, to confessions, and to creeds to figure it out would indicate to me scripture isn't clear because I need outside sources to help me understand, to make sense of what is said in it. This to me would argue against the clarity of scripture. Oh boy, that's going to get me in trouble. The more, look, if I have a document here and I'm like, everyone, this document is clear. It is easy to understand. Not only that, you have divine assistance from God to help you understand it. Okay, yeah. Now, of course, no one has agreed for 2,000 years, but I'm going to still believe it's clear and will still believe you have divine assistance to understand it. Oh, but by the way, here you go. You need the apostolic fathers. You need the, the fathers who you need. Oh, you need all the confessions. And I just start handing you book after book. You need all of these books to make sense of this document. That would seem to tell me that document may not be as clear as we, I'm, I'm pretending that it is. And have understood we ought to put the burden of proof on those who would overturn the historic consensus of the church, whether it's related to sexuality or to the deity of Christ. We aren't assigning ourselves to utter interpretive chaos. We aren't claiming to start all over. We are willing 
to learn and rely on others. This is always the fatal flaw in restorationist movements in church history. Those movements who say, you know what, I'm just, just, I'm just getting back to the Bible, just me and the Bible, nothing else. I'm just zipping back to the first century like nothing has happened for 2,000 years, like I'm not at all influenced by my own culture, like I have nothing to learn from Athanasius or Augustine or Luther or Calvin or any of the Christians that have gone before, as if the Holy Spirit has not been at work in the church, and I'm just going back, me and the Bible. Even if that were desirable, it is not possible. Sola Scriptura does not mean there is no authority other than the Bible. We acknowledge the authority of parents, of government. We submit ourselves to the authority of elders. In some traditions, you may support, you know, submit yourself to the authority of uh, presbytery or an and I love that. We submit ourselves to the authority of, of, let's say, within the church. Elders, presbyters, whatever the case. You, you, to me, it's such a facade. No, you don't. You submit as long as they agree with you. And the minute you don't agree with them, boom, we're done. <laughs> we're done. You, you'll take your church and leave the denomination. You say, well, they violated scripture. They violated your interpretation of scripture. I don't know why Christians can't understand that the ultimate authority within Christianity is the individual, no matter how. Look, once the Protestant Reformation happened and we're like, nope, nope, we're not going to submit to the Pope. We're not going to submit to the magisterial authority. We're going to stand against it. The minute that the dam broke, the floodwaters came in. And then... No matter how much we want to say, Scripture is the authority. Scripture is the authority. Your interpretation of Scripture becomes the authority. And you will submit to your church leadership until the very second. Let's say you're in a church and you believe Firmly, that repentance is not just a change of mind. It is a change of action. It is a change of behavior. It is a change of direction. And all of a sudden, the pastor comes up and he turns and he says, repent. Repentance. Repentance is a change of mind. And you're like, no, 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 no. It's more. No, it's just a change of mind. Guess what? You'll get upset. You'll get frustrated. And ultimately, you'll be like, peace out. I'm going to go find another church. And that will be the end of that. So whatever facade you gave to submission is you submit until you think they are wrong. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, how many uh, degrees they have in theology. It doesn't matter how many times they've read the Bible. It doesn't matter how many times they've studied the subject. You will determine that you're right and you'll leave. And you say, no, that's not the way it works. If it's not the way it works, then why do we have thousands of different groups and, and churches? It's the way it works. Now, I do believe there are other authority, but I do believe that if we want to just be as honest as we can, we want to strip back the curtain and stop playing pretend and stop playing dress up, you're going to see individual Christians holding a Bible saying, this is what it means. And now, you, many Christians will accept different having a different opinion from their church. They may, they may go, well, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. 
and they'll just handle it and they'll, they won't they won't submit and believe what the church is telling them but they won't cause any trouble but i'm telling you there's always a line in the sand and whenever the pastor crosses that line the people leave demonstrating that they are the authority then they go to another church pretend like that pastor's the authority until they disagree with him and then they will leave That's the way it works. Assembly, what we confess is that Scripture is the ultimate and the final authority. So sola Scripture does not mean we have nothing to learn from anything else except the Bible. It means in the end, everything, all our traditions, all our historical formulations, all our creeds and confessions and man-made catechisms, they all must be tested against the supreme authority of the Bible. All right. Now, that sounds good, right? That sounds, oh, that sounds so wonderful. Hey, all of these other documents, they must be tested against Scripture. Well, wait a minute. Obviously, that's why there's different confessions and different creeds, because we have different interpretations. Now, this is supposedly to fix This is supposed to answer why there's so many denominations if Scripture is so clear. I don't know how this is answering it. You're literally explaining why there's so many denominations because every individual takes their Bible and then tests a confession or creed and go, disagree, disagree, disagree. I disagree with Augustine. I disagree with Pelagius. I disagree with, and you just, I disagree, 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 disagree. But who's making, everyone wants to say Scripture is making that determination. Well, if Scripture was making the determination, then guess what? There would be one confession, one creed, one denomination, and because scripture is the ultimate authority. But clearly there's not one confession, not one creed, not one denomination. So then what's the authority? It's not scripture. It's man's interpretation of said scripture. And then they base their entire denomination off someone's interpretation of scripture. You come along and go, Hmm, let me see. Lutheran or Baptist? I, you know what? I think Lutherans are wrong. I'm baptizing babies. I'll be a Baptist. You say scripture was the authority. No, your interpretation of scripture is the authority. And then you determine who's right and wrong as an individual. Then you choose the church you're going to go to that goes along with your interpretation. If the church deviates from your interpretation in certain major ways, then you will declare that that church is wrong and you'll go somewhere else. Meaning you're the authority. No matter how, we can dress this up in religious, academic sounding language, but that's what it boils down to. Not solo scriptura, or some people said not nuda scriptura, but sola, the final arbiter of what is true. Fourth, fourth response to this question of pervasive interpretive pluralism. We need a proper understanding. Pervasive interpretive pluralism. Pervasive interpretive pluralism. That's why he's trying to answer. Why is there pervasive interpretive pluralism? Why? Why does it seem to be a free for all? He's saying, well, all we need to do is now we just need to understand the sufficiency, the clarity, and we need to understand, uh, you know, scripture alone, sola scriptura. And, and well, all of the things that he's tried to tell us to understand, he, it's not added any clarity at all. In fact, 
His explanation only creates an explanation for why there's so much division anyway. The reason there's so much division is everyone is like, it, like he, he can't realize I, I, if we don't say solo scriptura, we say sola scriptura. And we tell people, no, it's not just you in the Bible, it's you, the Bible, and all of church history. Well, one, you're telling people they can't interpret the Bible until they know all of church history, which, of course, is never going to occur. Number two, wait a minute. You look to church history, and then you test what they say according to your interpretation of Scripture. So so it's not even sola scriptura. It's sola individual. It's sola interpretation. Your interpretation now becomes the standard by which you judge everything. You say, no, it's scripture. It's your interpretation of scripture. Because if it was just scripture and scripture was clear, then why would we get all the different interpretations and different groups and different judgments on? Look, I read Pelagius. If I go through the 18 points of Pelagianism. I think they're heretical and wrong. I'm going to go with Augustine. But guess what? Someone else is going to go with Pelagius. If I go to the the, the Synod of Dort and look at the canons of Dort, I'm going to go with one group and others are going to go with what's called the remonstrance. They're going to go in that group. I'm going to disagree. Some will go with with Arminius. I'm going to disagree. I'm going to say Arminius was wrong. Calvin was right. Now you say, no, no, scripture is right. Yeah, but you're saying scripture is how we determine if Calvin, Arminian, or is it Arminianism? Is it Calvinism? Is it Augustine? Is it Pelagius? If I go through all the different names and movements within church history named after these individuals, we can go through all the Christological heresies, all, all the Christological heresies, all named after specific individuals. You're going to look and go there, but they were, they would have told you they were right based off scripture. A one is Pentecostal will tell me they are right about denying the Trinity based off scripture. So they will reject all of the confessions and creeds that have a Trinitarian viewpoint. And, but they will tell you they're doing so on the basis of scripture. So I don't know how this fixes. I don't know how this explains why there's so many denominations. In fact, you're really, you're really proving to me why there's so many different denominations because you're pretending that scripture is the authority without acknowledging that if the minute you say scripture judges the confessions, the creeds, and the traditions of the church, well, you just said, I can't understand the Bible apart from them. But if I'm standing in judgment of them based off scripture, then I don't really need the confessions and creeds because it's the scripture that ultimately determines it. Determines it and ultimately, guess what? It's my interpretation of scripture that determines it. ...of the history of the church. The church has been around for 2,000 years, so of course you will find examples of Christians believing wrong things. I mean, that sh- All right, so the next thing we need to do is we have to have a correct understanding of the history of the church. But then he immediately tells you, we're going to find that the church, because of 2,000 years of history, that there's many cases where they believe the wrong thing. Believe the wrong thing according to whom? 
Who determines they believe the wrong thing? If you say scripture determines they believe the wrong thing, they would have argued that they were using scripture and that what they believed was the right thing. So who determines they believe the wrong thing? You say scripture determines that. No, once again, your interpretation of scripture, and then you judge their belief based off your interpretation, and then you determine if what they believed was wrong or right. I don't know why we can't see that this is just the inevitable logical direction we end up in. Should not be a hard endeavor. You have 2,000 years of material. It is not difficult. You have millions, if not billions of people who have been Christians throughout these centuries. You are going to find people who believe wrong things, who have said silly things. But sometimes... The press is not quite as bad as we are led to believe. Columbus, for example, was not actually the first person to think that the world was round. The venerable Bede in the 7th century taught that the world was round, as did the Bishop of Salzburg and Hildegard of Bingham and Thomas Aquinas, all whom are saints in the Catholic Church. I only point that out because sometimes that's thrown at you. Well, it was, you know, all the church for years and years, they, they all thought that the, the earth was flat. So how can we trust you? Well, that's not accurate. Every educated person in Columbus's day knew the earth was round. It took Jeffrey Burton Russell to argue. Now he's getting into, he's making a lot of historical claims here. You can get into this. I don't know exactly what he wants. I guess what he wants to prove is, see, the, the church got some things wrong, but they got plenty of things right. Okay, well, look, congr- let's say congratulations. Let's say it was the church who figured out that the world was round and not flat. Okay, congratulations. Let, let's say that that's wonderful. That's great. But in 2,000 years, the church is yet to come to an agreement on things like, I don't know, baptism, Lord's Supper, church government salvation, okay, like, like uh, eschatology, yeah, like we can just go on and 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 on. It never stops. That during the first 15 centuries of the Christian era, that the nearly unanimous scholarly opinion pronounced the earth spherical, and by the 15th century, all doubt had disappeared. Sphere was the title of the most popular medieval textbook on astronomy written in the 13th century. So the sundry wise men of Spain who challenged Columbus did so on account of their belief in the earth's size, not in its flatness. They thought Columbus had underestimated the circumference of the earth, which he most definitely had. All of that is just an example because some of these popular myths get handed down. Well, that was the church. The church was benighted. The church was backwards. And they all opposed Columbus because they thought he was going to fall off the edge of this flat earth because they were reading their Bibles and saw that the sun rose and the sun set. Recall, too, that on almost any of these scientific questions, the scientific community was wrong for at least as long as the church may have been wrong, whether it's on where the plague came from, or spontaneous generation, or geocentrism. And even where the church has been wrong, for example, on the issue of slavery in the 19th century South in particular. Now, what I love is you say the church was wrong on slavery. Those people would have argued they were following Scripture. 
So you say they were wrong. They would have said that they are right. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that, that's what it comes to. Now, again, I do believe we have to pursue doctrine, theology, interpretation, and I believe we have to stand and fight for it. I just think that we we are foolish to pretend that it's just so scripture is clear, but we we couldn't that there was was an agreement on the clarity of scripture when it came to slavery, was there? Was there? Oh, no, there wasn't. I wonder why. I wonder why. Because there seems to have passages that tell slaves to just submit to their masters and doesn't really seem to condemn it. So is scripture clear on slavery? Like if you if you really took scripture, what would be your conclusion about slavery? Now, you've got some scriptures that would seem to speak of the that the, the slaves are created in the image of God and we're supposed to even love our enemy, that, that they should be treated correctly. But that would be how Christians should treat a slave. Wouldn't really have any. I mean, you could argue that it would tell you that people who are not Christians are in sin by treating their slaves in incorrect. Like you could get you would, you could spend forever debating that issue. I believe, obviously, slavery is wrong and evil and should have been condemned by any reasonable person with a Bible or without a Bible because you're, tr- you're denying human beings their rights. And if you can deny them their rights, then your rights could be denied by someone else. I think just from a logical perspective, it's wrong. But but um, I just, yeah, I mean, you can sit there and judge everyone and tell them that they were wrong and they were wrong and they were wrong. But there would have been other people using their Bible saying that they're right. They may have even used history to prove that they were right. It wasn't wrong for century after century, and even when it was wrong, it eventually got to a point where it could find what was right. To people who use the slavery argument, which is perhaps the most common argument, well, that's just your interpretation, and didn't Christians for the longest time believe that the Bible supported slavery? One of the things you say in response is, okay, some Christians did believe that the Bible supported chattel slavery, but you seem very clearly to know now that the Bible doesn't. And so you seem to have arrived at at an interpretation that you think we all ought to agree on. And you could even press further and say, well, if we were reading our Bibles, you would see that the Bible teaches that stealing people, man-stealing, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, was forbidden. So the Bible condemned the whole practice of chattel slavery as it existed in the transatlantic slave trade. So we need to have, those are just two examples, we need to have a better understanding of history, and we need to not be so scared and so, you know, cowering in a corner when people throw at these things, which they probably have spent all of 30 seconds thinking about. I love that. So if someone offers any of these challenges, it's just because they've only spent about 30 seconds thinking about it. Like, like it's, a, that's an arrogant, uh, uh, hey, the reason you think this is because you've only given 30 seconds of thought about it. Because anyone who thinks about it can understand that it's so simple. It's so simple, but yet 2,000 years, Christians can't, still can't figure anything out. That's such an arrogant remark. These people have only probably spent 30 seconds thinking about it. Yeah, oh yeah. Christians have got a long history of deep thinking about things. I mean, come on now. That's just not fair. Some struggles with, well, wait a minute. Doesn't 
some Christians have thought this way and some Christians have thought this way and some like, where's the, where's, no, it's, it's just because they haven't thought about it. I mean, the Bible, the Bible, I mean, come on, we can make this all work with the Bible. We can make it all work. Now he does make, he does make a pretty good argument about man stealing. Okay. Maybe you could argue that, wait a minute, man stealing would seem to condemn slavery. Like, like you could try, I got no problem working through the scriptures doing so and how to figure it out. But clearly in the New Testament, there was no call to abolish it or, or overthrow it. So then you would be like, well, then like, that leads to just, in other words, once again, all he's demonstrating is by bringing up some of these issues is when you dig into the scriptures to figure some of these issues out, you're not going to find, oh, let me wait for it. Clarity. But his argument is the Bible is clear. And the only reason we have so many problems and the reason we have so many denominations is because we need a proper understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture, a proper understanding of the clarity of Scripture, a proper understanding of sola scriptura, and a proper understanding of church history. See, if you'll just get all of this proper understanding, then we can fix all of our problems. But I'm telling you, (laughs) every time he goes into one of these, it only articulates why the problem exists in the first place, because it comes down to within the evangelical Protestant world that ultimately rejects the ultimate authority of the church. You end up with the ultimate authority of the individual. No matter how much we want to say, the scriptures are the ultimate authority. Our interpretation of the scripture becomes the ultimate authority. Fifth, we must not exaggerate our differences. We must not exaggerate our differences. Certainly, some groups of professing Christians disagree on fundamentals of the Christian faith. Now, this is, the, this is always the pushback I get. You exaggerate the differences. You just exaggerate the differences. So the problem isn't the lack of clarity. The problem isn't 2,000 years of nobody agreeing. The problem is we exaggerate it too much. All right. Once again, there is no agreement on baptism. There's no agreement on church structure. Independent church, denominational church, hierarchy or government, pastor-led, congregational-led, elder-led, what deacons do or don't do, there's not agreement on it. I mean, come on, you can find every church structure in the world out there. Clearly, there's no agreement on baptism. There's no agreement on the Lord's Supper. Open, close, Close, close or closed, open, close or closed. Uh, is it a sacrament? Not a sacrament. How frequently should you take it? How fre- There's not agreement on the Lord's Supper. Don't even get me started. There's not agreement on the word repentance. There's not agreement on the word baptism. Don't even get me started on all the differences when it comes to salvation. You can lose your salvation. No, you can't lose your salvation. It's a monergistic work. It's a synergistic work. It's, it's a Calvinistic approach. No, it's a, it's an Arminian approach. It's a free will approach. You on and on and on and on. We can't even agree exactly in how, you see, if you're saved, what proves you're saved? Is it the finished work of Christ or is it this and this and this? Does sanctification prove justification? Am I justified by an imputed righteousness or an infused righteousness? Well, Protestants will say, well, absolutely, you're not saved by an infused righteousness, and then turn around and basically try to argue that your justification is proved by righteousness that shows up in your life, which would seem to indicate an infused, okay, we can go on and on and on and on and on and on. And if you don't even, if that isn't sufficient enough with you, just take scripture, just take any scripture, read the scripture, and then just find, and then just start going to commentaries. 
we I, we we end, I indicated this when we were doing some work in the book of Revelation. There was a passage of scripture we looked at, I think, 20 commentaries, and there were 50 interpretations to one verse and 20 commentaries, 50 interpretations. You can come to almost any passage and you're like, okay, well, here's group number one. Here's group number two. Here's group number three. Here's group number four. Oh, wait, here's perspective number one. Here's perspective number two. Here's perspective number three. Here's perspective number four. Here's perspective number five. It's, it, it, it can be literally maddening at the time if you are even remotely honest with yourself and all of the complications with it. But Christians don't ever want to admit all of these issues. So I, I, we're going to run out of time um, because we're 52 minutes. We'll, we'll try to stop here in just a second. I just I have to offer clarity here because I know I'm going to get a lot of pushback. I am not calling for interpretive relativism. I'm not calling for interpretive pluralism. What I am calling for is Christians to be much more willing to acknowledge all of these issues and to be a little bit more humble and to realize that if we're going to say scripture is the soul, the, the final authority, then no matter what we want to say about the importance of church history, we're going to be judging it according to our interpretation of scripture and realize it's our interpretation. So it really comes down to the significance of our interpretation. And then what I guess what I would hope is it would so frighten us, scare us, bother us and humble us about all of the problems I keep indicating that we would be like, man, I need to take a minute here. I need to stop being so arrogant and I need to get back into the scriptures. And I need to be doing the following things. I need to be reading it continually. That's observation. I need to be memorizing it continually because that helps you with your observation. I need to learn good Bible study skills so that I'm utilizing observation. Please note how much I'm emphasizing observation, 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 observation. I am observing, I'm, absor I'm observing its textual context and I'm observing all the words that are used. Then you need to learn not only all of your observational Bible study method skills, then you need to start learning principles of interpretation. And Christians have to be trained in these areas. Now, he's arguing more that Christians need to be trained on the confessions, the creeds, and church history. And I'm arguing we need to get back to reading, memorizing, meditating, and we need to get back to actual study of Scripture. So many Christians don't know how to study the Bible. They rely on sermons, podcasts, and Bible study guides instead of observation and interpretation. We have to get back to that. We have to. And that's why here in this podcast, we do the Bible study exercise where what do I try to do? I get you to actually engage in the study yourself. And what I have found, I'm not saying that this proves anything because trust me, it's not always going to work. But when I typically, when we find a group of people who will actually participate in a Bible study exercise, they'll do all of the assignments. They're looking everything up. They're doing the work. Oh, we still may not always be in perfect agreement, but it's just when you have a group of people who are humble, and desire to observe the text accurately and then seek to interpret it correctly, that 
it, it's, it tends to work much better. But you got to find people with that the right attitude and the right spirit. But a lot of people come in arrogant, basically wanting to tell everyone that they're wrong. All right, let's, let's see where he goes here. And it seems as if we hardly agree on the same faith at all. But if you were to take Christians and churches and denominations that believe the same thing about the Bible, so we have the same foundation about the Bible, and you take those attributes of Scripture, which you can remember with the acronym SCAN, Scripture is Sufficient, Scripture is Clear, Scripture is Authoritative, Scripture is Necessary. Scan. If you were to get Christians and churches and denominations who agree on that, we agree the Bible is perfect. We agree that it's God's revelation. We agree it's breathed out. We agree it's inerrant. You get those Christians. Christians, like I imagine, are the ones in this room. I think that there would still be, we know there would still be disagreements, but I think we would also find that we have much, much more in common than what would separate us. And the things that unite us are the things that are most foundational and most fundamental. So go back to the the numbers I gave earlier. I bet out of those 27 Baptist denominations, 20 of them are some form of evangelical. And of those 20, I bet, bet they believe the same things about the Trinity, about the person of Christ and the atonement and heaven and hell and original sin and the resurrection and faith and repentance and probably a dozen. I could just start. They don't all believe the same about original sin. I've been in enough Baptist churches. I've been in plenty of Baptist churches. If they're not full-blown Pelagian, they're at least semi-Pelagian. Well, that's not believing the same thing about original sin as me as a reformed Baptist. So, no, <laughs> no. And, and I've been in too many Baptist churches that define the Trinity as one God manifesting himself in three ways, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And ladies and gentlemen, that's straight up modalism, that's straight up Sabellianism, that's ancient heresy. And when you try to articulate, you just destroyed the doctrine. No, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well, never mind then. So there's not even agreement there. Now you can say, well, that's just ignorance, but still, it's it's not. And 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 there's a Baptist church. If I go, if I pull out of my driveway, drive down to the stop sign to leave my kind of you know residential area, my housing development here, take a right, drive five minutes down the road, maybe six minutes, look to the left, there's a big church called the Park. Used to be Beltway Park Baptist. Baptist in its theology. They're so straight up charismatic, it's not even funny. So charismatic. So their whole understanding of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, Uh, Who knows? I think they still believe in the eternal security of the believer, but many charismatics, they work with churches who clearly don't believe in the eternal security of the believer. You, you, I mean, clearly, I mean, that's just ridiculous to just make these assumptions. And again, he, he wants us not to exaggerate the differences. Okay. Well, if you don't want me to exaggerate, don't downplay the differences. To me is how many differences before you just realize, wait, and and not only that, why are they 27 different Baptist groups? 
There's got to be doctrinal differences for some reason. Right? And other things that are most essential to our faith as Christians. Why do we have different denominations? Well, there's many different reasons. It's not always that Christians got together and they couldn't agree on a specific interpretation. It's not always because of schism or heresy. Sometimes it's because of different ethnicity. And it's not always a sign that one race or ethnicity was opposed to another. There's different historical reasons. Perhaps, you know, in the African-American community, it was an oppressed community, and so they had to, by necessity, build up their own churches. Or with the waves of immigrants that came from Europe, there were Dutch Reformed churches, and there were Swedish Free Churches, and there were German Lutheran churches, and those have maintained different denominational homes. Not necessarily because they all disagree on the most fundamental matters of the faith, if they're evangelicals, but because there's some historical continuity. And when they first came to this country, they maybe spoke the mother tongue, and it took some time before they learned English. So there's all sorts of historical reasons, different rates of Americanization, different languages, different regions of the country, different traditions worth perpetuating, perhaps a, a different confessional standard that they were, they were fond of. A different confessional. There's, they, the reason there's different denominations is some of them just had, you know, different confessions that they were fond of, different confessions that differ from the other churches, meaning that they were saying the other churches were not right. He's, he's, he's trying to play it down so much. He's trying to play it down so much. All right. Um, I'm going to write down some things here. Don't exaggerate. All right, whatever. I I won't be able to read that. There we go. We're going to stop right there because we're at 61 minutes. I desperately want to finish this. I desperately do, but we can't. We're going to stop at 2842, ladies and gentlemen. 2842. 2842 left. I think that's 2842 left, I think, or it's 28. I'm just going to put 2842. Um, The reason I don't know exactly how to read it is because uh, the software within uh, the MacBook Pro is radically different than what it looks like. And the laptop and the laptop, it gives me how much time we've listened, how much time is left. And it just gives me one number here in the uh, MacBook Pro. So I think we're just going to stop at 2842. We'll probably back it up maybe to 28 minutes. But he's telling us not to exaggerate. Don't exaggerate all the differences. I mean, nobody can agree on the word repentance. Nobody can agree on the word baptism. Nobody can agree on the Lord's Supper. Nobody can agree on salvation. Nobody can agree on church structure. But hey, guys, don't exaggerate it. Nobody can agree on how to interpret basically any verse. But hey, don't exaggerate it. Hey, hey, we got thousands of denominations. Hey, don't exaggerate it. Don't exaggerate it. The problem really isn't that bad. But because scripture is clear. So... I don't know how this, I guess his thing is, if scripture is clear, why are there so many denominations? Well, because I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't know how any of this fixes any of the problem. I don't know how this fixes any of the problem. To me, this just once again screams to me that we, that Christians live in denial of the reality that nobody wants to face. And this, this is the reality that nobody wants to face. Christians, individual Christians, are their own pope, 
are their own magisterial authority and their own authority. And no matter how much they say, no, 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 I submit to my church until you don't agree with their interpretation. This is the unintended consequence of the Protestant Reformation. As much as I love the Reformation, I'm going to be honest with the unintended consequences. There are always unintended consequences. So what do we do in face of this interpretive pluralism, right? Well, how do we, this persistent interpretive pluralism, how do we deal with it? Let me try to tell you, we got to get back to Christians reading, 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 reading the Bible, memorizing the Bible, and studying the Bible. And study means doing observational study methods, where you're doing all the observation, because you can't interpret what you haven't observed. Then we bring in the interpretive skills, right? Historical context. And we bring out all of the the interpretive skills, and then we, we train people in how to do that to the best of our ability. Now, you think that's still going to lead to, to uh, agreement? It won't. Now, sometimes you know why there's disagreement? I've learned this, because people won't actually do the study. Much easier just to pick up the Bible, read it, listen to a sermon, and tell, you, and tell everyone else that they're wrong. It's another thing to say, hmm, this is a difficult situation. Let me go spend a couple of months really working on this and digging in using whatever Bible study methods. And a lot, most people won't do that. I've almost reached the point in my life, if you're going to disagree with me, I need to see how much study you've done. And if you haven't done any study, then there's no point in having an argument. There's no point in having a debate. I wish the church would get to that, but we don't. All right. That's 65 minutes. I do apologize for going so long. Uh, Part of, remember about five or six minutes of that was that awkward intro that we did. I'm sorry. Um, We're still figuring out all the software and sometimes things go a little wrong but we're we're getting we're 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 getting there we're getting there we're getting there all right and uh just an update we still have not figured out how to get the macbook pro to work at the church i'm really really nervous about that um i just purchased something that should be here i was hoping it would be here today i'm hoping it will be here tomorrow so maybe tomorrow evening we can try a completely new setup to broadcast live from the church if not i don't like I said, I don't want to send the MacBook Pro back because this thing has been perfect for broadcasting here. So many of the issues we were having broadcasting here have completely disappeared. Someone who was very concerned that the volume was too low immediately was like, hey, no, 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 no. Don't touch anything. It's, finally, I can hear everything. MacBook Pro fixed that. All of our disconnect problems, the MacBook Pro has seemed to completely eliminate that problem. The MacBook Pro has fixed everything. But what do we do about broadcasting live at the church? Because our current setup, it, the MacBook Pro is like, I don't know what you're doing, but that's not a microphone. So we're, we're going to try to fix that. And if we don't fix that, I don't know what we do. I don't know what we do. Uh, we keep the MacBook Pro. We keep using the, the Dell laptop that we have that I think is you know getting close to the end. We keep using that at church. But once the Dell laptop dies... We would have to buy another Dell laptop to replace it. We would want to get basically the same kind since we know how to use it. But that's not cheap. That's not cheap. And we just spent a considerable amount of money on the uh, MacBook Pro. So, but I'm telling you, the MacBook Pro whew, thing is awesome for broadcasting here at home. Man, I, would ne- I, would, I don't ever want to go back to anything else. I love this thing. It has been perfect. I'm still getting used to it. And you still hear some of the, like, you know, my intro, 
But uh, yeah, so that's what's going on. So, you know, I hope just I hope you will. <laughs> I hope you will hope with us that somehow tomorrow, maybe by tomorrow evening, You'll tune in and you'll be like, oh, he's broadcasting from the church. I wonder which computer he's using. And you hear, hear me say, welcome everyone to our first live stream from Victory Baptist Church utilizing a MacBook Pro. And I want you to go, it has never sound better. Yay. And then, and then, and then we can all ride off in the sunset happily ever after. And then I'm going to retire five seconds later and just say, I'm done. I'm quitting because I fixed this problem and I'll, I'm never going to broadcast again. Okay. Now. There you go. I do know that when I talk about this subject, I know I offend many people and they get very frustrated with me because they don't like these unpleasant truths that I point out. But I think as Christians, we have to face the unpleasant truth that in a roundabout way, Christianity now has, we've rejected one Pope so that we all could become the Pope. I don't like it any more than you do, but it's the new rea- it's the reality in which we live. All right, thanks for listening. Please email me your disagreements to newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. I am worried about something here. I just realized something. Um... Sound settings. I'm going to see something here. Um, make sure. Oh, no. We, everything, all the settings were the same. I thought when I was messing around with things earlier, I'd messed up some of the settings, but now all the volume settings are the same. So, all right. If you, if you're if just, well, email me about anything. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a great day. I will try to do some more broadcasts live today. We're getting ready to start a brand new seven weeks of Bible study exercise on the subject of temptation. And so that's going to become a focus here shortly. Um, I, I know we're still working on John 19 and 20. I may try to do some more devotional thoughts on John 19 and 20. We were trying to look at the seven I am statements and the seven signs in the gospel of John. I may try to do some work on that tomorrow at Victory Baptist Church. We, I know there were a million miles. I, I, I feel like I'm like a million miles behind where we're supposed to be right now, but uh, we'll, we'll do our best. All right. So thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.